Hello, everyone. This is the Game Podcast from The Times, and I'm Natalie Sawyer. Thank you for sticking with us during this difficult period. We hope to keep you informed and entertained along the way as we tackle this together. Joining me today, it is, of course, Gregor Robertson. But also joining us, we have The Times Chief Sports Correspondent, Matt Lawton. Matt, great to have you with us today. How are you doing during this pandemic? Uh, doing all right. Thanks, Nat. It's um, Even though there's... Uh... Even though there's not any sport, there's there's still a lot to write about. Um, and um, myself and Martin Ziegler, um, in particular, because sports news is our kind of role for the paper. Um, all these developments, you know, Euros being postponed, Olympics being postponed, um, the whole debate around um, player wage cuts and all those kind of stories, and now whether football's coming back. So there's a news agenda that needs to be monitored every day. So strangely busy. Um, the only issue is when you do bump into neighbours or you speak to friends who say, you might, you, you can't have anything to do at the moment. And you think, <laughs> I wish that was true. Because I'm, yes. I'm actually working very long hours. But uh, trying to, you know, obviously we've got less pages in, in sport at the moment, but they still need to be filled. And hopefully they're being filled with stuff that is informative and interesting to people. It's interesting because we had Martin Ziegler on Thursday's pod last week and, and he said he felt he was the busiest he's ever been right now. Yeah, it is. It, look, there are, I, I would agree with Martin to an extent. I, I, I think um, uh, he's probably forgetting how hard he has to work uh, at an <laughs> Olympic Games or at a World Cup you <laughs> when you're working in different time zones and you end up doing ridiculous hours. But, but um Look, it's at the end of the day, we're writing about sports. So I'm not going to start complaining about it. It was a great piece that um, Matt Dickinson did on Friday, uh, where it was to, he did a piece about the madness of sports writing, and he quoted he quoted this guy who said um, who said that um, pressure is a Messerschmitt up your ass. Um, so I'm not I'm not <laughs> going to complain. About, I'm not going <laughs> to complain about oh oh how tough this is being a sports yes. journalist. But, but um, you know, particularly when uh, my own brother is uh, on the front line as an ICU anaesthetist. So, oh gosh, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to. Uh, I certainly wouldn't complain to him because uh, I speak oh. to him most most days, and uh, I know I know I know what it's like for them. So uh, yeah, just just a, a brief word on him. How how is he? How's he coping with it all? He's all right. He, he, he's he's um, he, he's he's actually he's chief of surgery for um, a trust down in Tunbridge Wells. Um, so he's been really in the in in the thick of it. Um, and they, you know, he was he oversaw them sort of going from twenty ICU beds to eighty. Um, but it's wow. it's um, he was telling me at the weekend that things have calmed down. I think they only had one admission uh, last week. Um, hmm. and, uh, the, you know, then they're, they're not over, they're not overstretched at the moment, but of course the big worry is, is that we, you know, once, if, if we soften lockdown measures is, is if there's then a second spike and they've got to be prepared for that. I, I think there have been points when it's been very stressful. Um, but I think hmm. the lockdown from what he's saying is the lockdown has worked in the, in the, yeah, the, the, yeah, they're coping. Yeah. Well, good good to hear he's he's coping well with everything and, and that as he's recorded so far the numbers are, are decreasing in admissions. Um Gregor, let's have a quick word with you. How are you doing? Um Matt was just saying there about how busy he's been. I guess you've been busy with your press up challenge. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's or that's not. real pressure. Real 
Fisher have come up to hoping to come up with a bigger number in press ups every every few days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. No, I've not. Um, I've not gone near a press up since we last spoke. I had a very virtually connected weekend in my first Zoom quiz, which we failed at Ooh. pretty miserably, but um, oh. it's all good fun. Um, so yes, when I when I'm not been working, I've been this weekend. I've been speaking to to friends. That's one thing I think we're all realizing just now. You kind of you want that human contact uh, as best you can get it so speaking to various friends around around the world in fact some in Australia and whatnot so thank god for technology do you know, I think do you know what I think I'm talking more to my friends now than I have ever done which is wonderful in 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 some ways but shameful that I wasn't beforehand very quickly yeah. on the quiz was there a sports round and were you abysmal at it when considering you you know you work in football yeah, that was when uh, I was mocked at the uh, the most. Although uh, they were very niche questions. This was with uh, some friends in Edinburgh, and there was, I think, one question was about who the Hibs player was that scored in uh, to to stop Hearts from winning the league title in which year in the eighties or something like that. It was very niche, so um, I think I can be forgiven for not for not doing too well. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the excuses come out. Uh, do you know what? Let's let's move um, let's move on. Coming up, we're going to cast our eyes across the Premier League's project restart and look back on a simple rule change in football that changed the game forever. But first, it is time for this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, let's talk about Phil Neville. It's the story Matt brought us last week that the England women's manager will leave his role next summer. He had been set to lead Team GB into this summer's Olympics before his contract expired after England women's home Euros in 2021. But with the coronavirus pandemic delays, the decision has been made to make a change before the run of major tournaments. So how should his time with England be remembered? Well, he was appointed in January 2018. He led the Lionesses to a first She Believes Cup title and a fourth place finish at the World Cup in 2019. But since then, they've lost seven of 11 games and failed to retain their She Believes Cup in March. Matt, how do you assess Phil Neville's time with England? A success or not? Um, I think overall it's probably a success. Um, I, I, look, I think it's been of benefit to, 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 to the team and to, to women's football in general. Um, I, you know, I think... It was it was sort of I think when he was appointed it'd been a difficult time for the FA with the whole Mark Sampson saga, um, and I think women's football was was desperately trying to raise its profile, um, and he was an appointment that made people sit up a bit more. So I think in that sense, 
that was quite good. He obviously started very well, uh, won the She Believes Cup the first time they've done it. Um, I'm a bit, I'm always a bit funny about the fourth place finish thing because I just think the whole play, the the whole um, uh, third place third place game mm. is a nonsense anyway. So look, you get to the semi-finals, they got beaten in the semi-finals, which is what they did the previous time. Um, so uh, yes, it, it, he's run into more difficulties since then, but I kind of think. Um, I do kind of think that you judge teams ultimately on on tournament performances, and um, and I don't really think he was due to be judged again until until the Olympics this summer. Mm. Um, so seven seven in eleven, you know, how much was he rebuilding? I, I can't claim to have seen many of those games, but you know, how much was he was he tweaking things and, and preparing for the for the tournament? Um, so uh, I think overall it's been quite good. I think I think the, the the thing that surprises me now is, and this might sound quite controversial, but I'm a bit surprised that they're now saying they definitely want a woman to do the job next time because I still think I still think that they should just be looking for the best person. Yes. Um, and and, and uh, I'm a great believer in in blurring the lines between men men's and women's sports and 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 what which gender works in different sports because i think there's great examples of when women are coaching men um um you know adam pt's coach mel marshall you know is regarded as one of the best swimming coaches in the world and 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 it's hardly surprising when adam pt is arguably the best swimmer in the world um you know andy murray turned to uh, maresmo um, I know he changes coaches as tennis players often do, but I just think you, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know they need to develop women, women coaches in in the sport, but I think the England job can still be just the best person. So, yeah, just just a, a view on that. Mm. We'll talk more about his successor in a little while, but Matt, do you think his involvement in the women's game helped to open it up to a new audience? Bearing in mind he. It's probably the most high-profile manager the Lionesses have ever had. Yeah, I, I think it did, and 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 uh, you know because I know the situation they were in at the FA at the time, and I know that Dan Ashworth had to because I think Phil was quite nervous about it because um, about taking the job because you know at, at at that point even even in 2018 you know it was before the world cup and 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 all the sort of exposure that 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 got last summer and and just how much interest it generated it, it was still fighting for its place in the sort of sporting consciousness if you like um and and i think he was a little nervous about leaving the men's game to take a job in the women's game um but ultimately I think it's worked for both of them, and 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 for, for, you know for for, the, for England women and for him, um, I think he deserves a lot of credit. It, it started very badly. There was that whole social media thing where he he appeared yes, to say something in in, in in messages that that was could have you know was interpreted as well domestic violence. Basically, I, I don't think I, I, did, I did accept his explanation. It, it was I think he was talking about a table tennis game and, 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 and in inverted commas, I think the word was smashing, smashing the misses in a table tennis game. But the whole thing was mm. incredibly unfortunate and was another lesson in remembering don't commit anything to writing that you don't want people to uh, 
uh, to, to, to discover years later. It's uh, you know, but that made that made for a very difficult start um, for him. And, and but he came through that, and as I say, he had a very good first year. I just think the second year has been a bit tougher. And ultimately, mm. he, he he's a victim of the rescheduling because he he desperately wants to take the team at the Olympics next year, uh, and that's to be decided. But we'll see. Do you think that could happen? I think if Sue Campbell can find the right candidate in the next six months, uh, it won't happen. I, I think mm. she would like um, she would like the, the the next coach to take the Olympics, then the Euros, which are going to be in England in twenty twenty two now. And then the World Cup in 2023. I understand that. Um, I think the beauty of having Phil there is if they can't uh, get the right person uh, in time, and they, they do seem to, yeah, they seem to have plenty of time to do that. So I, I can't see how they will fail to find the right person. But if they don't find the right person, they know they have a willing, uh, a willing uh, coach who already in place who would simply work beyond work another couple of weeks because his contract expires about 10 14 days before the olympics start on the 23rd of july so i, I i'm pretty confident he, he would happily take the reins for another few weeks and 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 go to the olympics because who wouldn't want to go to the olympics it's, it's mm. going to be in tokyo it's going to be fantastic and, and um you know it would it, for him it would fulfill another sporting ambition well, before taking the job with the Lionesses, Phil Neville had worked as a coach at Manchester United and Valencia, had a care, cameo caretaker stint at Salford City in the middle with his old teammate Paul Scholes as well. Gregor, do you think he has enhanced his reputation as a coach with his time with England? Uh, it's a difficult one to gauge. I think um, I think the biggest tick beside his name is really that he was well respected by the players and I think they all they all kind of warmed him and, and, and came to like him. Um, and he tried to change the style of play a bit. I was reading earlier that the past completion of the of English the English team rose 20% between the last two World Cups, which is huge. Um, and obviously not all down to him, but it's that's a big leap. And he, and he tried to change the style of play. They, they conceded too many goals pretty consistently. Um, so I, I really think it's hard to gauge. I would say no, though. <laughs> I think, I think when Hard you kind of say, weigh all but of, it's a no. <laughs> I mean, on the balance of things, when you weigh up his his CV before that, and some of that is down to circumstance. Look, he he went into Man United with David Moyes, and that was a poison chalice, really. Uh, Valencia, I'm sure he will look back on that as a good experience, but the club was in real turmoil, and it turned into a bit of a fiasco, really, at the end. So. You know, I think there's also a question of how he ever got the job in the first place when he had no experience in women's football. He had no real experience in management. Um, I think that was a really... I think we'll look back on it as quite a a, a strange appointment in, in the fullness of time. And then the, the fact that... You know, Matt's hit the nail on the head. Obviously, he did raise the profile. And, uh, but I feel that that the women's game, that, was, that they were already on that trajectory. It was already on the, in the ascendancy... Uh, I think there would have been huge attention around the World Cup whether or not Phil Neville was the manager or not. So yeah, I mean he undoubtedly did raise the profile, but I I think I don't think you can, you know, put that all down to Phil Neville himself. No, I was going to say I wouldn't have suggested that he raised the profile of the World Cup. It was the it was the brilliance of people like Megan Rapinoe and and, and other players that I think ultimately succeeded in doing that. But I think he I think he. Um, 
you know, if you think about the viewing figures they got d- during the World Cup on TV, particularly, um, well, I, suppose, I suppose where would viewing figures be other than TV? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, if, if you if you look at that, I, I think he, I think what he did is is he, from a point where the women's football team. England women's football team was just this car crash of a situation with the Mark Sampson case. Um, it then, I think he he drew people's attention to it. He drew the he drew the attention of this football loving British public to it, or the English public, I should say, um, because you know I, I think international football is is very um, very much about individual countries, as we know. Um, but but and I, I think people tuned in. I think he helped. I think he drew people towards the team. And I think he drew in, he attracted more interest in that team, and it and it and it culminated in a lot of people watching that World Cup here in England. I think there's truth in that, but I also think that the players did too. We learned so much about individual players and their stories, and and the sort of the way their their lives of well, their their fortunes in football have been transformed by how how kind of professionalised it's become and. And the, the, their journeys were were fascinating. So I, I agree, he raised the profile, but I think that was well on the path to happening anyway. What about where next for, for Phil Neville, Gregor? You sort of have your mixed review on his time with England. What sort of level of team do you think would consider hiring him, or where could he? Be, <laughs> where would he? Where would he be best placed? I mean, this is hard as well. It's <laughs> there may be some kind of there may be some slightly wacky owner in the championship who gives him a job but I'd be surprised if it was a club that was very well run and stable with you know a serious prospects of promotion uh, I've you know I was looking down the championship today I don't think a Premier League team will so I look in the championship and um, I couldn't pick out many teams so I really I honestly think it's been a strange it, we'll look back at this not just in terms of, of uh, how it's been for England but for Neville's career, and, and I'm not sure uh, what the benefits will be for him. I don't think he's kind of, as you said, I don't think he's enhanced his CV markedly. Uh, and where what his next step is going to be, I'm, I really am not sure. It's hard to answer. Well, the question is now, who will replace Phil Neville as the England Lionesses manager? It's believed, as Matt told us a little bit earlier on, that the FA want a female in charge next and there are some high profile candidates within the game you've got Casey Stoney the Manchester United manager believed to be the FA's long-term target but has only one and a half seasons of management experience there's also Jill Ellis a two-time World Cup winner with the US who's a free agent but had to survive a rumoured player revolt with the American team wasn't popular at times with the fans and let's not forget she is English as well um, not that it necessarily matters but I uh, just thought I'd say that and then there's also Emma Hay the Chelsea manager is arguably the finest club boss in the Women's Super League, but is reportedly more interested in taking Chelsea on than switching to the international game. And, and Matt, I know you you sort of you're not sure about whether or not it should be just a woman that the FA are looking at. But does the next coach at least have to have worked in the women's game? I bow to Gregor's uh, knowledge of, of football uh, as, as an ex-professional, <laughs> um, and if if you know. Uh, I sort of obviously noted what he said just now about um, Phil getting that job and not knowing anything about women's football. I, I do wonder whether surely a, a coach, a football coach who knows about football should simply be able to 
coach footballers. I, I, you know, it, it's obviously knowledge of teams and opponents would be useful. But um, yeah, I, 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 I wonder about that. I, I, I think they will, however, stick to uh, coaches who are already working in women's football. Um, the problem they've got, Nat, is is that they've money is tight at the FA. They are they are staring at 150 million pound losses uh, because of the pandemic. Um, Phil and his staff, if they were to get rid of them uh, in the next few months, they're probably looking at a bill running up to July 2021 of about half a million pounds. Um, the one they should get, the one I think a lot of people think they should get, is Jill Ellis. Um, you know, she won the last two World Cups, um, massive experience. Um, um, you, know, uh, you know, the CV speaks for itself. Um, but she won't come cheap. I understand she would be she would be commanding a salary of anywhere between four and five hundred thousand. And suddenly, it's all getting quite expensive. Um, yeah. Um, and and, and it, it's. It's it's not an ideal situation, and I think Sue Campbell, uh, you know, she, she, she's the head of women's football at, at the FA. She's going to have to, um, she's going to have to justify this to to Mark Bully and the CEO uh, this expenditure. So, my my I guess my concern is that they'll end up going cheaper and perhaps less experienced um, because of financial pressures. Well, it is one that we will continue to uh, look out for here at The Times. So we will keep you regularly updated just as soon as we get any more on that. Now, Matt, you've also been writing uh, about the Premier League's project restart plans, which aims to resume Premier League football on June the 8th. Here's what we know so far. It will be behind closed doors football at approved stadiums, which may mean neutral venues. The competition schedule will include three weeks training, a window between June the 8th and July the 27th for the remaining match of this 2019-20 season and a date of August the 22nd for the start of next season. So, Matt, from what you know, is this all a viable option for the Premier League? Um, I think it's viable, but it still comes down to one simple thing. And because when you speak to the people um, that, we, we, that we can speak to at the moment, it, the same thing is said every time. Tests, 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 tests. And it's all about whether they can get the tests. And what what the Premier League will not do and what English football will not do, and, and I'm totally with them on this, they cannot be seen to be jumping the queue. You know, I touched on my brother earlier. If, just me as an individual, if, if, I, if I was to be aware that Jurgen Klopp was getting a test before doctors and nurses in, in our hospitals, that would be an outrage. So they, they, they cannot they cannot be seen to be doing that. So the whole thing is dependent on their ability to be able to test players in the in the run up to games and test staff and test the officials in the run up to games and then test them again when they get to the stadium. Now even then there are problems and and I and I don't I speak as a sports journalist with a degree in English, not an expert in science. My brother was the clever one in the family. So, so it, 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 it's, 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 but the one thing I understand from what I read is that even then the, 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 the tests only are positive. People only test positive if they're symptomatic. So there are still problems with this, but, but what 
I was talking to Gregor just beforehand. What has changed in the last few days, Nat, is there's a, there's been a shift in uh, a shift in um, in the view of the government. There is suddenly government support is suddenly there in the last few days in a way it perhaps hasn't been until now, and and there is a there's a recognition with a lot of industry, not just football. Like at the end of the day, football is an industry, and there are people not just footballers. There are people with jobs and. Down, you know, down the football pyramid, just normal people on normal salaries that that need, you know, are worried about their livelihoods and their futures. But also, the government do recognise that it it would be quite a, to have some live sport back would be quite good for the mental sort of health of the nation. So there is a collective desire, but again, I can't can't stress it enough because it's what is being stressed to us as reporters when we engage with the people we're allowed to speak to. It's all about getting the getting tests and, 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 and basically the government addressing this shortage of tests. And once they've addressed that, and once the, the testing is up to the levels that are acceptable and all the right people are, uh, are, are getting the tests, then they can think about letting football have those tests. Mm. Gregor, taking your job out of it right now, and, and as Matt suggested, there is a suggestion from the government uh, that they think football should return to bring that feel-good factor back to a lot of people who, who are missing it. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I mean, I've said this a, a couple of occasions in, in the last couple of weeks. I've shifted a bit on this. I think if it's plausible uh, and logistically possible, then and it looks increasingly like it is certainly at the elite level, at Premier League level, then then they have to do it. Um, you know, the, the benefits outweigh the negatives that, the caveat being, as Matt said, that the football is not jumping the queue. But I mean, the the one fundamental outstanding question, I think, which I'd quite like to put to Matt, in fact, is: is there any notion of what the plan is when, if or when a player tests positive? I mean, i.e., is the team does that player isolate? Does the team isolate? On what level does this whole thing fall apart? I think the player certainly isolates. Just the player. Back. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. Uh, and again, you know, then, then the team will be tested. But yeah, that, that, you're absolutely right, Gregor, because the, the, then that would suggest it could just be complete carnage uh, and the team gets wiped out. So, so these are the sort of obstacles that, that, that they're trying to overcome. But no, the, the way that it's been, it's been sort of um, communicated to me is that, is that a positive test will be treated like an injury. And that that player okay. is just out, is just out. But but yeah, if they suddenly think the whole the whole team has been infected, it's 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 a problem. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to introduce protocols that that limit that risk. Well, you mentioned protocols. Project Restart has thrown up some interesting talking points that I think we should discuss them. So, um, reduced training is one of them. In the Bundesliga, players will only be permitted to train in groups of five for an hour at a time. Arsenal are the first Premier League club to say they are returning to training and are following the restrictive policy in Germany as well. Um, is is that the right first start to all of this, Matt? Yeah, I guess so. I, I was a bit surprised to read over the weekend that that clubs like Arsenal were going back into the training ground because at the end of the day, nothing has actually changed in terms of the lockdown from a few weeks ago when they weren't going into the training ground. But yeah. but they've managed to justify that there is a, you know, this 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 sort of government guidance that if if you can't do your work in any other way, you know, 
if you if, if you can only do your work by going into work then that's acceptable um you know if you can't work from home so they've now managed to convince the government and as i understand it the clubs went to the premier league and then the premier league went to the government and had that conversation and, and the word came back that as long as they still sort of recognize social distancing guidelines that, that it would be okay um you know it seems to me that if you if you i suppose you could pass a ball to each other but if you uh if you can't actually have any come within two meters of each other it's still very limited what you can do but i guess at least they can get out onto football pitches and they can do proper running and so on which perhaps they've been struggling to do from their homes i, I did see a story about you know players going out into local parts and doing stuff and just getting hassled um i don't know how accurate that is um, but but i saw that suggestion so i guess in the in the private environment of a training premier league training ground it will be easy just to get on with your work and get on with your fitness and i guess if there are coaches there who are again a safe distance away they can take those sessions so it seems pretty sensible to me ultimately um but it's still not that full contact training that they need that they claim they need three weeks of before they'll have a competitive match. And I totally get that because at the end of the day, it's going to be a 13 week gap. You know, if they come back on the eighth, that week beginning the eighth of eighth of June, which is the sort of penciled in, that's the target. That's the divisional target. That'll be 13 weeks between the last game, that Leicester Aston Villa game. That's a long, long time. You know, that's far longer than we get as a break for players between the end of the season and the start of the new season in terms of when they come back for pre-season training. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's a challenge and, and, and they've got to try and keep in shape to be able to play competitive football. Again, I bow to Gregor's expertise here. I, I, you know, I didn't play, I didn't play anywhere near that level. So, you know, Gregor can tell us, you know, how out of shape the body can get if, it, if they're not playing competitive football. I don't think it's a, uh necessarily a matter of being out of shape because you know they will have been keeping fit they're all very professional nowadays and if they go back and they do this this kind of reduced training i.e training in small groups or almost alone you can maintain fitness but i was just remember you're right about the the fact is you know that would have been 13 weeks and it's longer than a than a, a summer break normally and i was just remembering going back in in every pre-season when i was playing and and you would do fitness work and then when it came to the first game you would do all the kind of little short, sharp movements and things that are impossible to train, really. It's all on kind of instinct and what's going on in the game and tracking the ball and stuff. And you would feel aches and pains that you, you hadn't, because you were working little muscles that you hadn't been able to really train. So that's all going to happen to these guys. And then on top of that, they're going to have three games in a week. And when you looked at the schedule in today's times of, of what the season is going to be, you know, they're going to be starting, teams are going to be, finishing off European games almost at the same time as potentially starting next season, uh, it's going to be a real uh, a real test for them. Um, I think they'll all be willing to do it. And, and, you know, there's a story about potentially being more substitutes. So that's one uh, one avenue of potentially easing the burden a little bit. And I think that would be uh, definitely be a good idea. Just quickly on that, uh, before we move on, if you were still playing, Greg, and let's say every football team is allowed to to do what Arsenal are suggesting that they're going to do and what other Premier League clubs might have to do as well, given the choice, and I think this is on a voluntary basis at the moment, uh, given the choice, would you rather train at a training ground? Gyms and things like that aren't open, I know that. Um, Or would you rather stay at home? 
Oh, it's training ground all day long. Yeah. I mean, I know I, I, I spoke to Simon Francis before the lockdown happened. It was uh, who's the Bournemouth captain, sorry, and he um, Bournemouth were doing this before the before the lockdown uh, happened, just when football shut down initially. The players would drive up in their kit, get out of the car. They would do a one-on-one session with the fitness coach uh, on the grass. And, you know, that means you can involve the football. They, they probably hardly touch the football in this time. You know, if they go to the park, as Matt's saying, they'll either get hassled or if they're doing it with a friend, they'll get photographed and, uh, you know, they're not socially distancing. So, absolutely, to be able to train on the grass and touch their football, they'll be like kids playing in the park again. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, come up with some of the other suggestions that have been put forward. More substitutions. Do we need more? There's a story today that would permit clubs to make five substitutions over the course of a match. However, teams will still only have three windows, so to speak, in which you can make those changes in a game. Um, Managers may want it, but Matt, does this question the integrity of the game, making amendments to rules that the competition already began with back in August? Well, I think to be honest, that there's, I think that ship has sailed now because you know yeah. they are they are examining even the possibility of having to play in neutral venues. That that, that decision hasn't been made yet, but it's it just depends whether um, one of the things that was definitely uh, contained in that um, project restart thing was the need for approved stadiums. And what they don't know yet is whether all 20 grounds would get approved. So if if not all 20 are approved, and and basically the approved bit comes down to a couple of the the, the criteria are are policing and and, um, um, and whether they can make them as safe as possible for spread of the virus. Um, So if it it does come down to a limited number of stadiums, that should be sound. I think the five substitutions would make a lot of sense. We see it in international friendlies when we get, you know, Ericsson used to used to about 11, didn't he? Um, so, you know, it, I, I think we could handle it because it's, it's, it's what Gregor said. There's fitness and then there's match fitness and, and there's all the little movements and all the little sharp movements that can that can cause injuries. And I think to limit the risk of injuries, if you have that option when players are getting tired, I think, it, you know, I think there's a good chance there will be a lot of games that need to be played in a short space of time after an unusually long break. And if you can do anything to limit injury risk, then it seems sensible to me. Other suggestions include no touching. Now, this is actually two uh, suggestions. No touching at home. So Bundesliga players have been told they have to get changed at home, wash their own kit, use their elbows to operate elevators and abstain from kissing or have intimate relations with partners who have displayed symptoms, and also no touching with regards to corners. Rafael Ramos, the president of the Spanish Association of Football Team Doctors, has said, we'll be looking at a different kind of football, which includes no jostling at corners. I mean, Gregor, how would you feel about no touching? <laughs> We're at home or in the, in the penalty box. Wow, I was wanting to see which, I was hoping, I was wanting to see which you prioritise in this conversation. Yeah, I think this is where it does stray into the realms of the fanciful, really. You know, I'll start with the penalty box. I think, um, <laughs> you know, no touching. I, mean, I don't think that's going to make much difference because people are still going to be in very close proximity and you've got to mark your man. So I think that's uh, fanciful, as I said. Um, and all the rest is the kind of same kind of common sense stuff that we've been, we've been told for more than a month now, you know. It, it, 
don't don't kiss someone or if you're if they've got symptoms i think that's pretty obvious uh and then the things like washing their washing their own kit and these are very minor uh things that players love to put up with and and as i said i think they were all they were doing it for a short period before the lockdown happened anyway so um yeah it just shows you though that the kind of level of detail you can go to to try and reduce the risk of of uh of spreading or con- contracting COVID-19 but then when you go out into the pitch really the, the players are 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 going to be in very close contact and the game's going to be resumption of play as, as it usually uh, usually is so um you know everything around that you can understand about trying to minimize that but when they go out in the pitch then really it's you're in the lap of the gods and I was just going to ask you as well, with regards to the corners that they're suggesting, you know, there'll be no jostling. Football all over the pitch is, it's a, it's a contact game. It's physically a contact game. Um, how can you stop instinct? Instinct in terms of going to grapple with a player, for example. I don't think you can. I think it's impossible. No. I think you, know, you can set out, as we've seen, you can set out training drills where it almost kind of forbids a player to get, come in contact with, with another player. But on the pitch... You've got no chance of that happening. Okay. There are other suggestions as well that I'll quickly run you through. Uh, Even after lockdown is lifted, people over 70 are still expected to be instructed to self-isolate, which would mean Roy Hodgson, the Crystal Palace manager who's 72, would be unable to sit in a dugout or even attend training. And there's also the issue of... um, broadcasting with free-to-air games. At the moment, 47 of the remaining 92 Premier League games would be televised on Sky and BT, but there is a question of what will happen to the other 45. So we could debate about this forever and ever, but let's move on. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code program. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW. 
plus free shipping on orders over $60. And uh, in the Times today, James Gearbrandt writes about how a simple tweak to the back pass rule turned KG 1980s football into today's breathless phenomenon. Younger listeners may not remember football in the early 90s when it had become too easy for teams to sit on a lead because the laws of the game allowed the goalkeeper to pick up a back pass, bounce the ball a few times, then roll it out to a defender who could simply pass it back again. It meant the 1990 World Cup had only on average 2.2 goals a game that is a record low that still stands and the problem persisted in Euro 92 where the victorious Denmark team spent much of the final shuffling the ball between Lars Olsen and Peter Schmeichel in goal IFAB recognised that something needed to be done and the back pass rule was born in the late summer of 1992 Law 12 Section 2 now prohibited goalkeepers from handling a deliberate pass from a teammate's boot the game has never looked back with every leading European league during the 1992-93 season seeing an increase in goals and a game that demanded higher fitness and school skill levels and the rule also coincided with the establishment of the Premier League playing its part in creating a faster more intense sport which cannot be underestimated as a factor in the league's phenomenal success so we're going to be IFAB today Matt and Gregor if there's one thing that you would change about football what would it be and why Gregor if I could do it, if I could go back in time to do it, it would be uh, so I was still playing. It would be abolishing throw-ins because I was the worst throw-in taker in the history of professional football. <laughs> Honestly, I can't convey how bad I was. You, we I played at Northampton Town, and we had um, a right back called Ben Tozer who had a throw-in like a rocket launcher, and every time he he got a throw-in down the right, it was. You know, he launched into the box and it was like a, a goal-scoring opportunity. And whenever we got one on the left, it was a cue to get nine men behind the ball uh, because my throw-ins were so bad. And Chris Chris Wilder and Alan Nill would actually do specific training drills to, to combat my crap throws on the left and the opposite <laughs> to make the most of tozers on the right. So um, from a purely per- uh, selfish point of view, it would be throw-ins. But actually, I think that would be... Like on a more serious note, it's probably the most antiquated, time-consuming a- aspect of football. As I say, apart from the odd rocket from someone like Ben Tozer or Rory Delap, throw-ins got very few redeeming qualities now, and there's various, you know, various sort of solutions to this have been have been suggested in the past, like dribble-ins or kick-ins. Uh, but then obviously there are issues about whether that would just seem like a a wide free kick or whatnot. But I think there is a there is scope to to certainly scrap throw-ins because the amount of time is wasted seeing somebody standing with the ball on the touchline, staring around for for, for someone in the in the same colour shirt. Uh, it's it's not good for football. Well, do you know what? A few people have have come up with that because we have actually tweeted this out and we've had a few responses. Um, I just wanted to echo that Anthony Hanna and Kevin Dowds agree with you on that uh, as well, Gregor. And they've suggested things like a, a pass in, like you've you've mentioned there. Um, okay, so no throw-ins for Gregor. Matt, what would you go with? Oh crikey! I, th- I thought this was supposed <laughs> to be a, fu- a fun bit. I, I, Absolutely, I, um... it could be anything, anything yeah, you want. No, look, I, I, I'd be really boring and just say I, I want the referees to be more protected and more respected, and and I, and I do like the way rugby yeah. do it more. Um, but no, I, I was actually thinking because <laughs> I, I I 
one of the things that caught my eye in the last week is is Brighton, which, and I'm completely going off piste here, but I, I, is Brighton we're talking about playing uh, some kind of soundtrack like crowd noise and stuff if we have these games behind closed doors. And I just thought the limitless possibilities of the of the person that is actually in charge of that soundtrack, you know, do they have like the really abusive chance for the particular player from the opposition and, 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 and the really provocative chance to the, to, you know, that, that would have been to the other fans. And, like and, and because I was at the game, I did the England game in Croatia when there were no fans and we rather memorably heard Jordan Henderson um, giving his, uh, his expletive laden views to the Croatia manager. Um, and uh, no, I just thought, I just thought that would be fun. And yeah, I just thought, I just, I just thought whether to introduce, introduce crowd noise. I was, I was in, I was in Doha as well for the world athletics championships last autumn when, when we're pretty sure they were because the crowds were so low that they were injecting crowd noise in. Uh, so I wonder whether you could improve football by, by giving the uh, giving the people in charge of the public address systems more scope, more allowing them to be more creative. I like that. I like the idea. If someone got a red card, you could have a sound effect of wah, 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 something like that. It'd be fun. Exactly. And booing. Right? You can imagine, you know, yes. you know, you know and, and and sort of hitting the button just as someone's about to take a free kick and things like that. Like, it'd just be. It could be hilarious. Right? Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the yeah. power you could have as the uh, yeah, person exactly. that deals with the sound it'd be great exactly. um, as, I meant, as I mentioned we, we did put this out on Twitter loads of people reacted to this so I'll just read out some of them uh, maybe if you want to pick out which one stands out for you guys that'd be great um, Robert Blakely has suggested in extra time each team loses a player every three minutes like a reverse WWE Royal Rumble uh, Paul <laughs> Shannon has, has gone with do away with the away goal rule in Europe European matches. It's outdated, and after all, why should one goal ever count as two? There you go. Uh, Reese Jones, yellow cards for holding the ball up near the corner flag with more than 30 seconds left. Okay, that makes sense. Time wasting and all. Um, Andrew Clay, no subs allowed after the 85th minute, as it's nearly always just to waste time. If a player is really injured, then tough. It's not too long to play with 10 players. <laughs> oh, Andrew's harsh. It's harsh. Um, yeah, Wayne Brooks has gone for, well, waving an imaginary card to the ref should be an instant booking. So that kind of echoes your respect and the referee, Matt. Uh, Dean Smith's also got in touch. Not the Aston Villa boss, I'm afraid. He says penalties should become NFL field goals taken from the halfway line. Wow. Um, and also Stuart Sullivan got in touch to say I'd have a timekeeper instead of the referee. So the proper amount of time gets played, similar to what is used in both rugby codes. Any of those stand out for you, Matt and Gregor? I like the away goals rule thing because that, re- that no. really does. I, yes. I, no, I, th- I, I, I think it just can put enormous unfair pressure on, on a team. I always remember going with Man United to Monaco in, in 98. And, and, you know, they went to Monaco and got a goalless draw, you, you know, Champions League quarterfinal. And then they were so vulnerable to the away goal in, in the second leg. You know, nil, 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 nil in Monaco should have been a good result, but it was actually a, a terrible result. And Trezeguet, Trezeguet scored and then suddenly United were in deep, deep trouble. That's great. And, and, uh, Do storylines, uh, different storylines. It's unique. That's brilliant. I think. No, no. I, I, I think, I think. Don't replays, but but go to penalties if 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 the if the if the scores are drawn. But I think when, I think when teams get eliminated, 
from competitions of that at that level when actually the scores are all level is is just wrong all right. Okay. One, one more. One more. I think is is wrong is when players are booked for celebrating with fans. And I think in the light of what the length of time it's probably going to be before we see that happening again, they should scrap that rule because it's going to be a joyous moment. <laughs> Yeah, you make a good point. Um, there was one that I didn't read out, but I'm going to read it out now, but we're not going to react to it because it was just ridiculous. Uh, it was from Malcolm, who said, QPR should always start with a two-goal start whenever they play Brentford. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Thank goodness he is not on IFAB, but perhaps IFAB will be quaking in their boots with all those wonderful suggestions. That is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and to you, Matt, as well. You may find yourself with some time on your hands in the coming weeks, so do remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet it's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial all you have to do is search the time subscription for more information we will be back with you on thursday for the very latest game podcast in the meantime please do stay safe Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.